I wanted to be surrounded by guys who wanted to suffer in the front, not in the back. And so I, I, and, it, and that's true in life. That's true on any team that you need. Like you, uh, I know someone said, you know, that you are the product of the top five people around you. I don't remember who that was, but they were super smart in saying that. And, you know, I saw that team as a team I wanted to be on. Welcome to The Experts Blueprint, the podcast that speaks to experts in their field to unlock their blueprint to success so that you can discover the clues that will lead to your own blueprint to make your life the way you want it. From top-level athletes, high-performing business owners, health professionals, and people doing amazing things, this podcast is your guide to success. I'm your host, Tim Beanland. Let's get into the show today, and let's go. William, I'm very excited to have William on the show today. He is a 26-year experienced Navy SEAL, uh, retired now, of course, and um, has got some amazing experience in peak performance, uh, team leadership, teams, how to run effective teams, and and just really push through some some hard stuff, as we all know what Navy SEALs do themselves. But William, I want to uh, say thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm pretty excited to be here. We we, we played a little back and forth, try to set this up, and uh, finally making it happen. And we've got weird time zone things going on too. So I was going to say you are one of the lucky people who actually lives in Hawaii. Um, you know, everyone says I want to have the laptop lifestyle and live in Hawaii, and uh, I feel like you've done it. <laughs> I I don't know if I haven't quite achieved it yet, but I do live in Hawaii and I do work off a laptop at least half the time. So. Yeah, very cool, very cool. So I want to start this um, show, as I always do, with an impact question. And the thing that I I really want to ask, and I think the audience would be interested in, after 26 years of being a Navy SEAL, and and that is, in in my eyes, the the peak of of the Navy's body of of work, um, what is the thing that you've taken away from that experience that has stuck with you today and you keep on um sort of living that as as wow that was my my takeaway and it must be hard to pick one but yeah what what's the thing or the the thing that sticks with you from that experience that is a very complicated question and uh i'll i'll try to distill it down and it's interesting like as i transitioned out of the military and i didn't have a mission anymore i had to figure out you know, some of I sort of answer that very question for myself so that I could find my new mission and, and figure out what, what value uh, I could bring to society. And I think, um, really, I think one of the, one of, there's, uh, there's so many, so many answers yeah. to this question. No, it's okay. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I think, you know, I want to say leadership. I want to say, uh, you know, have a, a, a can do never quit attitude. There's so many things, but I've, um, as I'm sort of building my company, uh, and, and I'm putting together a coaching program, I kind of go back to, you know, these five tenets of, you know, sort of thinking like a Navy seal and, uh, and, and it's, it's the acronym naked. 
And uh, so, so kind of my slogan right now is get naked. And, and, and I'll talk a little bit about that. So the N is for never quit. Um, because, you know, it doesn't matter how hard the thing is, if you decided that you wanted to do it, uh, then th why would you quit? If you're, if you said, Hey, let's do this. Why quit? Now, it, I, if it's worth doing, it's worth finishing. Now, it's going to be hard, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, SEAL training or getting your degree or starting a podcast or whatever it is, you, it's going to be difficult. You're going to have challenges and you just have to like plow through them and you can't, you can't accomplish it in a day. So what you end up doing is you, you create uh, places to take breaks. You set yourself up for success and you create small victories along the way. And those small victories set you up. And this is a, a lesson that I learned really in like kind of POW school uh, where we were prisoners of war. First, we were like, you know, out in the, in the wilderness and they didn't let us eat uh, and you just had to survive. And then they brought you in and beca you became a prisoner of war after like, you know, a couple of weeks out in the wilderness and um, you, they didn't feed you. They just gave you water and they, you know, you know, maybe beat you up a little bit and interrogated you and all these other things. And what they teach you is to have small victories. Like this is like, if you were for real in like a, a, a POW, you would, and they tell you if they like slap you around, I got slapped a lot. Apparently I have a bad attitude. Um, <laughs> that's the equivalent of like a buck stock, a butt stock to the face. So what you need to do instead of being arrogant and macho or whatever is just, you know, give them a little of what they're looking for. And you don't really know when it's going to end in training you do, but in real life, you don't, you wouldn't know when that was going to end. So you, what you do is you just find small victories in, in what you're doing. So being a prisoner of war, you don't, that there's no end in sight for that. It could be years. And that's what happened in Vietnam for, for, for many, for many Americans. And, you know, so what they, what they, the guys learned is like, if they say, don't look to the left, you basically look, turn your eyes and you look to the left and you went like, you just won uh, this like mental campaign against breaking you down. So I just like built myself back up. They knocked me down three steps. I built myself back up one. And every time you get one of those little victories, you win. And so that's part of the never quit mindset. So number the end for naked is never quit. The A is accept failure because in life, failure will happen. And, you know, in the SEAL teams, in SEAL training, especially in training, everyone fails. And I saw more beast, more just alpha male macho studs quit because they were just they couldn't stand the the thought of failing in training because no matter what you're always going to fail you're going to lose you're going to whatever you're going to fail and they couldn't stand that in in like in their mind and you know if you look at you know throughout history people will you know success has been built on a foundation of failure so except failure uh, the K is kill mediocrity because the world is just mediocre. And why do we want to live in a mediocre world? E is expose your fears. We all have fears. And if we if we just keep them like buried somewhere in the back of our mind, they just end up consuming us. That 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 beast is going to break out. So it's better if you let it out and you tame it and you expose it and then you can kill it. Uh, and the D is to do the work. So without getting too far down that that rabbit hole, um, I, I'm going to lead that with my as my as my official answer <laughs> that's no no that's fantastic and and that explains to me why your company name is why it is and and 
it also speaks, man. We could do a whole podcast on that, and and you could you could do like like really go into depth on on N I, and I tried A to and, pull the reins back on it. Yeah, I get I get very excited <laughs> and and, and fired is. up about it. So I want to I want to explore the um the N of of that and the never give up because that's the thing that people associate with a Navy SEAL because um people like you know, movies and they, like they, they see it. So they get some, like a taste, you know, I would say 5% of what it's actually like. And I, I want to uh, ask you the question. Um, so for people that actually don't know what a Navy SEAL is and, and sorry for asking such a simple, basic, boring question. Um, what is What is a Navy SEAL? Um, why, why are they held in such high regard in, in terms of, you know, why there's so many movies and, all this kind of stuff about about them and um yeah just a quick quick summary and then and then I'll I'll go, go more in depth on the on the end and and ask ask because that that'll be tied to that question it's actually a really good question because when i was a kid i didn't know what a navy seal was i had never heard of it we didn't have books and movies and hollywood and things like that and so what basically what a navy seal is it is a it's an organization in the Navy, and they are commandos, uh, really focusing on coming from the water. And Navy SEALs became more popular, more they really uh, cemented what they can do in Vietnam. So in Vietnam, they're in jungles, there's rivers all around, and what what separated uh, the Frogman or the Navy SEALs, they were underwater demolition team back then, but what separated them from, you know, the Army uh, Special Forces, Green Berets, or the Marines, or anything like that, is they always came from the water. So because, you know, being part of the Navy and the history of, of, of the, the, the frogmen of the underwater demolition teams, you know, dates back to World War II. If you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, you know, that first 20 minutes of, of, of uh, the assault force coming across the beach. The things that happened prior to that assault force were the the Navy went out and 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 asked for a bunch of volunteers to come in and basically do a, a survey of the beach. Well, the beach is heavily guarded by by the Germans. And so they wanted some people with some demolition uh, experience. So the Navy went out and got volunteers. Uh, these guys would take little rubber boats in. They would hop in, in the water, swim to shore. You know, take notes for of what is going on on the shore, what kind of uh, fire fighting positions, what kind of obstacles, and then they would get out in the water and they would line up, and they would be about twenty five yards apart or meters if you're in Australia, uh, and uh, they would measure the depth of the water with a, a rock and a string that has uh, markings every six feet or knots every six feet. They would measure the depth of the water, mark it on their little slate that they had uh, around their neck, then they would dive underwater, look for obstacles that an assault craft could get uh, caught up on. If they found an obstacle underwater, they dro- they swam about 25 yards along the bottom, and then they would mark that obstacle on their slate, and then they would do three to 5,000 yards of beach a night. So that was the beginning of, and then they would go back to the ship, and then they would uh, create, a, you know, hand draw a chart uh, that showed, like, obstacles, depth of the water, you know, obstacles in the water, and then, you know, Prior to that Saving Private Ryan, you know, assault on Normandy, these guys went in about a few hours ahead of time. They found all the 
the obstacles that they could in the water and the ones that they could get to on the beach while taking fire from the Germans that are, you know, in machine gun nests. And they put off, they put demolition charges on those, uh, on those obstacles. They swam back out. And then as you know, dun, 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 the assault force, the allied forces are coming ashore. They blow the obstacles, you know, so there's like explosions there, you know, the naval gunfire support is like trying to keep the Germans from shooting at them, but they're going to do it anyway. And, you know, just covering their movement. And so that's where they got started. Then they then they moved on to the Pacific and they did similar uh, job in the Pacific. Uh, then they were kind of like, what are we going to do with these guys? And then Vietnam started. So these same the same group of guys. And I've you know met many Vietnam era frogmen who they were underwater demolition team guys back in the day. And then they were they talked to me about how they transitioned from being like, you know, they're diving all the time to you know, working land warfare and, you know, these very unconventional tactics that, that, that they would use. And that has just matured into what is today's Navy SEAL. And so basically we use very unconventional tactics when we go in and we, we fight the enemy. So, you know, a, a conventional force will come in, they'll take over an area, they'll lock it down, and then they'll kind of systematically maneuver through the area where we in under as a special operations guy, we will, you know, it can be completely enemy, you know, held by the enemy. But, you know, let's just say Afghanistan, for example, you know, there's a only one and there's a target bad guys. Maybe there's a hostage there. There's, you know, and we need to go get the hostage and maybe, you know, have a few less bad guys in the world. And mm -hmm. so rather than like driving up the road, that's booby trapped and there's people looking out, what we'll do is we'll start on the mountain range on the like two mountain ranges over and we'll walk over one mountain range back down up you know eight ten thousand feet down to the backside of this compound and then we'll you know hit hit the target where they're not looking and that's basically the mindset of of what special operations and what maybe how how we work and how we think is we you know, we don't want to hit a target directly where they're the strongest. We want to find where your weakness is, and that's how we want to attack you. That's really cool. And I think... I don't know if I less, answered your question, yeah, but... I, no, I no, you definitely did, especially at the end there. Um, the thing where it's like, don't attack someone head on. Find a way that... Um, find the weakness. Find the, right. find the way can, that's actually easiest to enter. Them. Yes. And that's yeah. something that we, you know, we teach during training is we teach, you know, the enemy's right there. They're looking at you. You don't want to attack them straight on. You want to do an end around and like hit them from the side where they're maybe you create a big diversion over here so that they're looking over here and they never look to the side. And then that's where you hit them. Well, that's almost like um, uh, in boxing terms, they call it jab, 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 right hook. Right. right. Like, like you're doing that and then I can relate that back to a business sense anyone that you know from from that and going like this is the difference between someone sending a spam LinkedIn message that's like buy my stuff straight up right. versus I'm going to give value I'm going to give value I'm going to give value and then I'm going to and then I'm going to and then, pitch my and then you buy from me right yeah you build it, that no like trust factor and then yeah. oh and maybe you want to buy this yeah which I know that's quite funny taking a taking a, a or weird taking a war concept, but but that's that's how I thought. That's how my brain went. It's like, hang on, there's a similarity there. So that's that's really really quite cool. Thank you for thank you for, for telling me that. Um, Certainly, I, 
I want to, so in, in order to get to those unconventional ways, you need to go through some pretty rigorous training. Um, and I know that you, you probably get asked this on a, on a daily basis on podcasts, but the uh, BUDS training, the, uh, I think the, the one before that is SRT training. Um, correct me if I was wrong there. But tell me about BUDS and tell me about that experience and then what that taught you about the, the N of, of um, Naked that you were talking about in terms of never give up. And you would have seen some people give up in that training and and you know so yeah tell us about that training and then yeah then then we'll i'll go more in depth on on those questions for sure so so that training is it's it's a selection it's a selection process and i'll start off by saying it's a selection process and even everyone that graduates seal training graduates buds basic underwater demolition seal training they don't all become seals or they don't stay seals sometimes you know you just don't quit and you are, you know, you can get, you know, find your way onto a SEAL team. But once you get to a SEAL team, you still may not be a good fit for the job that you're doing. So, and in that case, it kind of sucks, but then we have to remove guys from, from those positions. So just because you make it through this, you know, the hardest training in the world doesn't mean that you still get to do the job uh, because you don't have it here uh, because guys don't trust you to go into harm's way. Like you have, we have to trust you in order to, you know, have, have my back. Um, so, so seal training, it takes place in Coronado, California, which is a little spit of land, uh, in San Diego, uh, and some beautiful Southern, uh, Southern California. And let me tell you something, people don't believe me when I tell you this, but the water in, in, in San Diego is frigid, frigid most of the year. There's a few months of the year where it's it's nice to be in. The rest of the time, it numbs to your core very quickly. Uh, but SEAL training is broken up into three main phases. First phase is where they really are breaking you down to see what you have. And this is where most people quit with the, the highest attrition rate. You have about 80% of the people who try, who go to BUDS, quit. And it's not that they weren't awesome athletes or anything like that. They just didn't have the, the mental fortitude to, to do the job. They didn't, you know, kind of what I talked about earlier, they weren't okay with failure. They weren't okay being told like, you suck. Hey, you know what? Because everyone else failed, you fail also. So go get wet and sandy or go do this or go do that. And they were not okay with that. And other parts of it were there, they weren't cool you know, getting back in that ocean. And, and, uh, so, so the first block of training, it also has, uh, the most, uh, I guess, famous week in, 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 uh, I guess, uh, military training, which is called hell week. And it's five and a half days of no sleep. And actually we probably, it's really six days, six and a half days of no sleep because, you know, you, and I'll tell you about mine just really quickly. So you start Sunday, Uh, you go through, you kind of like prepare, you have like pizza delivered, you watch some movies and then Sunday night is when hell week starts. Like they said, okay, now it's time go get in the tents and we're going to come get you in a minute. And they come and get you with like machine guns and bombs going off. And it's just like total chaos. And you know, they're screaming at you and then you run out and you do different exercises on the grinder and they're like spraying you with fire hoses and again, more guns and 
explosions and it's just like total chaos and it's kind of and if you just stop and you kind of look at it and you're like oh this is pretty cool and uh but it does mess with people um and and then you know from there you go and you do like a four mile timed run then you go do log pt and you do all these events and you get your little rubber boat and you put that thing on your head and you live with that boat on your head pretty much for the next five and a half days so it starts sunday night it ends on friday afternoon sometime and so Kind of a, one of the cool things that happened in, in, during my hell week. So actually, let me even rewind before that. Saturday night, you want to get as much sleep as you can just because you're like, oh, I'm going to be awake for the next week. I'm not going to sleep. And uh, I don't know what happened. I don't know if this was planned. I never heard of it happening before. But for some reason, almost the entire night, the fire alarm in the barracks was going off. So well, number one, you can't sleep. That thing is loud. And then number two, you have to evacuate, make sure there's no fire in the barracks. So for about four hours, Saturday night into Sunday morning, we had, uh, you know, there was like pretty much no sleep happening. And then all day Sunday, you're kind of getting ready. You're preparing your boats, your paddles, your life jackets, your uniform, your boots. You're getting everything because you you have these inspections every day throughout the week where they, you know, make sure that you don't have like flesh eating bacteria or whatever, you know, check your hygiene and things like that. So you're, you're busy all day Sunday getting all of that stuff ready. And then you go into a room and then you watch a couple of movies. And one of the movies that we watched was called Major Pain. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, and so I, I recommend, highly recommend it. It's a comedy and it's about a, a, a Marine who is this like, you know, that ba- uh, badass that goes around the world and like, you know, takes out people. And I forgot the guy's name. He's a black comedian, super funny. And he has the, this sort of laugh like this. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, during Hell Week, you know, things get kind of like you get kind of down. You're cold and wet and sandy the whole time. And every now and then someone will throw out like a major pain quote or just start laughing or, you know, whatever. And then that just like lightens the whole the whole mood for the entire the entire class. Uh, let's see in my hell week, we lost, uh, we lost about 70% of the people. And one of the things that I learned in hell week, just to kind of talk about that never quit and sort of mindset is, you know, hell week sucks. Like it's work. They make you run around and everything is a competition and everything is whatever. And what I learned is I somehow got into a boat crew. We're a bunch of just average dudes. There was nothing special about us at all. We were average at best. But one thing was different about the guys into that in that boat crew than any of the other boat crews is anytime they said, let's go, the guys in that group, we, you're going to suffer. Suffering is inevitable. And everyone, it was sort of this unspoken rule is we're going to suffer in the front of the line and not in the back. Some people were like, oh, I'm just here. I'm doing my thing. And, you know, I got in this boat crew and they were just like running everywhere. I'm like, oh, I need to like, I need to keep up with my peers. I need to, I can't be the, the slow man. I have to actually like, I learned a lot about myself when I was surrounded by these, like these guys that were, they didn't, they, they wanted to be in the front. They're like, we're cool suffering, but we're going to suffer in the front. And I was like, that's awesome. That is like the best lesson that I've ever learned in my life. And I didn't really even learn it then. I kind of did. It was sort of planted the seed. And I learned it later on. Like I was like, be more reinforced. So 
So that's the first phase of BUDS. The second phase of BUDS is uh, diving, where you learn to breathe scuba. And then there's a, an event called pool comp, where they you wear, you're wearing this Jacques Cousteau-style regulator inhalation, exhalation hose. And then you're crawling along the bottom of the pool. And the instructors come down, and they rip your regulator out of your mouth. They rip your everything off. You're on a breath hold. They tie your regulator in a knot. And your job is to untie everything in a very specific manner this is all about paying attention to detail or doing things attention to detail and putting everything back on and you're doing it on a breath hold until you can get like one little bubble out and until you get to the end and they put the whammy knot in it and the whammy knot is this knot that you cannot untie underwater and uh then you have to like while you're on a breath hold you're totally struggling struggling for air uh you put put everything in a little pile in a certain way and then you ask permission to go to the surface and then an instructor will swim down and he will punch you in the stomach to make sure that you exhale all of your air before you get to the surface. Because if you take a uh, compressed air underwater, hold your breath and go to the surface, you will embolize yourself. And that's really, really bad. Uh, that's really bad for your health. So um, fortunately for me, I failed the first time I did it. But the second time I was so determined to like untie to get one little bubble of air, I untied three whammy knots in a row. So they were like, all right, fine, you passed. So I didn't have to do the like whatever to the surface. And I was just, I was happy to be done with that. So then you transition from there into a uh, diving a rebreather. So it's 100% O2 rig, um, which is there's no bubbles. You can be underwater for four hours if you're really, really good. Uh, in the way that you get where you're going is you plan your dive. Uh, you have a compass, a depth gauge, and a watch. And you take, uh, a certain bearing and you swim out for a certain amount of time, you know how long it's going to take you to get there. And then you make your turn and then you swim into your target or maybe two or three turns. And then, but you never break the surface of the water. You never look up. You don't have GPS or anything like that. All you know is your, uh, your, your depth and your time and your distance. And that's how you figure out where you are and then how you get back. And then the last phase of buds is land warfare, where you learn how to shoot, you learn how to do small use unit tactics and things like that. And then you graduate. And then, 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 the actual um then the actual work begins so you think you're doing work and you're like going through this whole process of like never quit like that's just a selection portion once you get to a seal team now you actually have to work you have to have to prove that you deserve to be there and you have to prove to your teammates they don't care that you graduated buds every one of them graduated buds now you're at the team let's see if you're actually worth you know training and teaching and being part of the team so that was kind of what I was talking about earlier. Guys may graduate, but they get to the team and then they, you know, they don't perform at the team. There's I don't know so if I much. answered your question or not. Oh, you, you answered and exceeded. Um, there, there's so much in there that I want to unpack. One of the details I picked up on was when you very first started Hell Week and there's bombs going off and things going off. You said the little thing that you said where there was if you actually take yourself out of the moment and you think, you go, this is cool. And so many people would be so stressed in that element and not be able to focus on this is actually cool. I think, do, do you think in terms of the mental, like you talked about the mental of getting through even that section of it, do you think that's a part of why you succeeded? Because you were able to step back and go, hang on, this is actually, like, I'm lucky to be here. This is very cool. I was lucky to be there. Uh, I considered myself lucky every day that I was there because it took a long time. That's, that's a whole other you know, thing that we could talk about. But you know, my journey just to get there, it took me three years after I joined the Navy 
to get there where it should have, I made some errors along the way. And then eventually I, I got the opportunity and I got injured several times while I was there. Six buds is six months long. I was there for 13 months to the day of graduation. And, uh, and I, every day that I was there, I was like, I was, I just felt lucky. It didn't matter how miserable it was. I was like, I'm stoked to be here. Uh, but as far as like, kind of like stepping back and, and looking at what was going on during that breakout session of hell week, someone that, you know, that was one or two classes in front of me, uh, said, you know what, while you're going through hell week, while you're going through the whole breakout thing, just take a step to the side and then look around and just take all of it in and observe it. And then, and then tell me what you think about that. So I was like, that's great advice instead of just being completely consumed by the moment. And that's a great lesson to be able to like, take your, your, whatever situation you're in. And to just like detach yourself and just like step away, look around, see what's going on. Okay, got it. Let's go. And and so that that has been a uh, a lesson that I have carried throughout my entire career. You know, it didn't matter if we were in a, like a gunfight or if we're training or whatever it was. Being able to like kind of like step back and like really take notice of what's going on around you and then engage. Yeah, yeah, and um. Let me talk to the fact that, like, team. So, if someone was to do buds by themselves, right? It, it's my guess that if someone was to do it just by themselves, they would fail very quickly. But if you are a team and you said, like, someone would crack a joke, right? Someone would say something funny from um, Major Pain. I think it was what you said. Yeah. And or or we're gonna push through this as a team. We're gonna like go from the front, not from the back. How does that push you to the next level, knowing that it's not just you doing this, but you've got mates doing it as well? So, and you know, this is, Buds is is an individual event because you have individual skills that you have to do. You have to run, you know, four miles in a certain amount of time. You have to do the obstacle course in a certain amount of time. You have to do swims in a certain amount. They're individual but they also, from the beginning, they put you in what's called a boat crew. And you are in a team of seven guys. And your job is to work together. You're either carrying this log, which was the most miserable part for a Buds for me. It was I remember in Hell Week, the, when we did log PT, I was so happy because I never, I knew I would never have to touch that log again. I was like, yes, this is, this is amazing. I love this. Um, but they, that's, that's the point is to teach you teamwork and and you are only as strong as your as your weakest link so either you have to get rid of that weak link or you have to bring them up and it depends on the their strengths or weaknesses how they what they bring to the team and uh if they're you know if they're going to be a good team member or not so you know, as a class, you're a team, but you're also broken up into smaller teams. And that's kind of, you know, the SEAL teams there. It's a big team, you know, 120 or so guys, but those are broken up into smaller teams and then smaller teams within the team. So being a SEAL is different than a lot of other uh, special operations because we focus so heavily on the team and uh, growing the team and the power of the team and things like that. So, yeah, well, that leads me to my next question is, especially like relevant for corporate environment, people hiring, firing, getting culture, getting team. Um, but 
bringing it back to, to, I guess, the Navy SEAL answer and then the civilian answer, what makes a good team? In, what makes a good team? Culture makes a good team. Leadership makes a good team. Those are the two keys to, uh, to, to building a good team. And so, and, you know, culture is how you treat one another holding each other to a higher expectation. So, you know, when I was in the SEAL teams, I had to, every day, it didn't matter if a guy was senior to me or junior to me or whatever, I had to show up and I had to be the best version of me because, you know, I'm, my fear of failure or my fear of letting my team down, kind of like being in that boat crew. Like these guys were like, we're going to get to the front of the, of the line. We're going to, like, we started in the back. We're like, we're just going to eat. We're going to go eat and then we can take the boat off of our head and be inside for an hour or 30 minutes or whatever it is and try not to fall asleep because if you fall asleep while eating, you are hell to pay. Um, but, you know, when I got into and I saw these guys, I wasn't in that boat crew early in Hell Week, like the uh, on Sunday and into Monday, I saw this boat crew winning all the, the races and I was in a boat crew where Guys were like, I don't know if I want to be here. I'm kind of uh, and kind of whining, and I'm like, bro, this is I've I've been I've been here for almost six months already. I don't want to hear all this whining. When I first showed up in the buds, I was like, don't quit, da da da. And now I'm like, beat it. You don't. I don't. You're in my way. <laughs> Bad attitude. Maybe not the best example, but I had a mission to accomplish. And then I'm watching this other boat crew, and they are. I know they're suffering the same as us, but they're in the front. And then some other people quit. And then we lined up again and I was like, one, two, three, four. Okay, I want to be a boat crew three. I just like, I totally put myself in that boat crew. I might've bumped someone out. I'm not sure, um, nor did I care. Uh, and I, because I wanted to be surrounded by winners. I wanted to be surrounded by guys who wanted to suffer in the front, not in the back. And so I, I and, it, and that's true in life. That's true on any team that you need. Like you, uh, I know someone said, you know, the, you are the product of the top five people around you. I don't remember who that was, but they were super smart in saying that. And, you know, I saw that team as a team I wanted to be on. And so now that I'm out of the SEAL teams, I have had to kind of redo that. I had to find my new team. And, you know, I live in Hawaii. So my team is not necessarily on this island. They're all over the world. They're all over, you know, the United States. And so, but I have technology so that I can stay connected to them. So, you know, so the cultural environment for for uh, business, you know, your culture, make sure that you have a winning team and you have to build that through leadership and leadership. That is really leadership is not telling people what to do or how to do it. Leadership is about being of service. Leadership is about you take care of your team. Maybe you give them some direction. You train them on how to do it. You give them some direction and they will go and execute it as violently as they can. And, and so that's, that's what, and you support them in whatever they need. Your job as a leader, you know, one is to like know the vision of the company, point that vision to your team, train them on how to accomplish it, and then say, go get them and support them along the way. That's awesome. Um, how do you lift up a team member? Um, how do you lift them up? Like if, if you've given them a task and they, they come back and they're like, I struggled with this or they didn't complete it to your, um, your standard that you thought it would be completed at, um, how, do you, how do you lift them up and, and 
maybe like motivate them to go and do better? That's a good question. That's a really complicated question, actually, because some team members, you can't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. But if they want to be there and they want to be part of the team and they want to grow and learn and, 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 and be part of the team and, and achieve the greatness that they can achieve, then you, that comes back, that's leadership and that's culture and that's training them. And maybe you as a leader may not be the smartest person to train them in a certain task, but you can assign someone to train them and then you evaluate them. And then, you know, when I used to teach sniper school, um, my, in my, I was running the school at the time, I would have all of my instructors teach me the class that they're teaching before they actually taught the students. And when we did that, I was able to um, kind of give them direction. Like maybe they didn't really understand the, the curriculum as well as they should have or weren't putting out the things they should. And that's something that's interesting about teaching or training people is, you know, when I went through sniper school and then I was a sniper in a SEAL platoon, I thought I was a pretty good sniper. I thought I was one of the better ones out there in the community. Until I came back and I taught sniper school, I learned very quickly that I only know about 30% of all the information that I need to know. So that's another way that you can get someone to, ele to elevate people is to have them train other people. They may not be the best at whatever it is, but if you take the time to learn the, the curriculum or learn the job or whatever it is well enough that 20 people can ask you 20 different questions about one subject. You become pretty good at you. You learn what it is that you need to know. So that's one way to kind of like help elevate a person, have them teach it, learn it and teach it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, definitely. Like, I'm, I'm just a complicated. No, answer, but. no, no, no. I'm just thinking back to, so I, um, I did telemarketing for, since I was 18, I'm 27. Now, um, I worked my way up in sales and business development. And there was a point there where I started training people um, and I probably had the most successful two months in my sales career after the point that I trained two people to also do the same job. So what you're saying there is, is completely valid and, and incredibly valuable for anyone listening along that wants to take their skill set to the next level. Find someone that's struggling, lift them up by teaching them. And it's that's interesting. I have I have a couple business coaches because they didn't teach me how to be a businessman and in, in, <laughs> in the military. Uh, so I so I have some coaches, and one of them he said something very interesting. He said uh, he reached out to a mentor or someone he wanted to mentor him, and uh, she said, "No, you can. I will mentor you after you learn how to mentor someone else, because then you have some skin in the game. You know." how much effort it takes to train someone. I know you're paying me whatever, $10,000 a month or whatever she charged. It was, a, it was kind of a lot of money. Um, but I will not train you until you train other people. You learn that relationship of trainer and trainee. And then I will take you on board and you know, help grow your business. And she, grew, she helped him grow his business from a $300 million company to a $3.4 billion company. So whatever he was paying her was totally worth it. <laughs> <laughs> No, definitely, definitely. Um, a friend of mine said the best mentors um will be will be very, very busy. The 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 best mentor, the one that you want, will most likely tell you no because they're very good at what they do, 
and they don't have time to just be a mentor. They don't have time to do that because they're good at what they do and that's going to make the best mentor. So I love that you said that. they want you to take action. They don't want you to just like, they don't want to just, like if they're charging an obscene amount of money, they probably don't need your money. But they have, number one, they hold you accountable. And number two is they want you to succeed. They They want you to take action. Don't pay me to just say good job. Pay me to help direct you and help you problem solve and, and things like that. That that's sort of, you know, you know, like I said, I have a couple of business coaches and that's what they're they're like, go take action. Check. Got it. So awesome. Awesome. I want to talk about trust. Um I want to talk about when you're in the thick of it and and there's enemies all around you and you know that because maybe you're sneaking in. Um how do you trust the guy next to you? Like, because I know there's a lot like, so when you got into the team, like you got, there's a process of people that funnel out of the team, but at the end of the day, you're still a team and there needs to be trust within that team. How do you, how do you build that trust and how do you know that it's there when it's there? So the SEAL teams are interesting because you do a lot of hard stuff you're put into very stressful situations. And this is before you go into harm's way. You are just the, the training that goes into it. And what you end up learning, you learn a lot about yourself and you learn about a lot about the team that you're surrounded with uh, or surrounded by. And, you know, if someone can't do the basic techniques that you're taught, after even after remediation, they still do them wrong. Well, I'm probably not going to trust that person. So you learn over time and you're put into that. We, you know, let's just say, uh, we, we do close quarters combat. So basically that is you go into a building and you find a bad guy or take care of business. Go look for, you're looking for something or someone in a building. The building can be very complicated. It can be a house. It can be a school. It can be a, a, a an apartment building. It can be whatever. And so they can be very complicated. Uh, rooms, very complicated scenarios, and you learn. So you learn how to speak without saying a word, and the actions that those people are your your team is taking. You have to trust that they are going to do the right thing. So if you go this way, you have to trust that they're going to do that. And we do so much of that that we you just build that internal trust that comes back to that some of the culture that some of the training and you know we've had scenarios where you know we in 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 the real world where you know one guy went into a room and his buddy went this way the guy that went left and into the room he ended up getting shot 32 times something like that a lot it was a lot he lived but his buddy that covered his back actually took around in the back of the head the Bullet went right under his helmet and and killed him instantly. Um, but you know, it was about the trust of you know I'm going this way. So and if there's someone over here, I will shoot them before they shoot you in the back. But you know, one guy ran into like three guys were barricaded into a room and it was it was an ugly scenario. But it's you you build this trust through repetition through working together. And I actually had a guy once upon a time where my where he was a good performer. He was naturally good at stuff, but he had enough mistakes 
guys, the rest of the team came to me and said, we don't trust him. We don't want to deploy with him. And I was like, copy. So because I had not done the proper paperwork uh, to remove his trident and kick him out of the team, it's, it's, it's a process. Um, what we did is we, we basically said, you don't get to be a SEAL. You can be part of the team, but you're not going to do anything until we earn your trust. And we, you know, just humbled him completely. And he eventually earned everyone's trust back. And he deployed with us. He did a good job. He still made mistakes. Um, but he did eventually earn everyone's trust and he got to stay on the team. And he got to do some really cool stuff. And and he was part of the but you know, that was that was the team like saying, Hey, we don't trust you. And that was, you know, that was our culture. We, we're part of, we're performers and you're not performing to the level that we want you to, or we need you to. So this is life and death. And if you're doing stupid stuff, we don't trust you. Get out. And so wow. he pulled his head out of his butt, I guess. <laughs> um, that, that's awesome because instead of just cutting him away, instead of just going, we don't trust you. See you later. Goodbye. Like life and death. We're not mucking around here. You you humbled him and you lifted him up. And then by doing that, he earned the trust back by, like, now he's motivated to earn your trust back and understood. And then he went on and, uh, I assume, had quite a successful career, you know. For, and for- he did. He had a really good career and, and he's doing some cool stuff now. Uh, but, yeah, for sure he he had to be humbled because he thought he was, his poop didn't stink. And it, I mean, he made, like, basic safety error after safety error and that's mm. just not cool no no it isn't um i want to i want to have a a section here um so this this section here is called called pitch my product um if you've been <laughs> listening listening to william for 44 minutes um you obviously like what he has to say uh you do a lot of corporate speaking you do a lot of um things for companies to help them build their teams um uh, <coughs> And you've also got a line of supplements and that sort of thing. So, yeah, just just quickly, um, yeah, tell us a bit about what you do. And uh, I guess this is the the elevator business pitch. So we'll see if your business coach is a, um, a I, teacher. I, I didn't realize we were we were talking that long. Apparently, I I'm, <laughs> I'm long winded. I didn't no, realize that. I'm so glad that you, you you we have been talking that long. It means the conversation was interesting. So right, especially if the person's hanging around till now, like you listening sure. in the car or train or whatever you're listening to, <laughs> like who. Who's the next? Who's the next guest? Yeah. Um, so, so I started a company called Naked Warrior Recovery. It's a it's a supplement CBD company, and uh, it basically I started it because, um, you know, after 26 years in in the SEAL teams and having some some bad relationships, I was suffering. I had some baggage. We'll just call it baggage. And so, and you know, my my body was pretty broken after you know doing that line of work. So, I. Uh, you know, I would drink myself to sleep at night. I would do things like that. And that's not very healthy. And then I heard about CBD. I tried it. It helped me to have better self-talk. It helped me. It just helped me all around. Uh, helped pains go away. So I started this this uh, company, uh, Naked Warrior Recovery. You know, earlier in the, you know, we were talking about the guys at Normandy who would go in. Those guys were called the Naked Warriors. And uh, because they basically went into combat wearing nothing more than some short shorts, a K-bar knife, a slate, uh, a, a slate around their neck, mask and fins. They were basically naked going into combat. And so they were called the Naked Warriors. So that's the heritage of the 
of this uh, Navy SEAL is the Naked Warrior. Um, so I have a, a, a product line of, of, of CBD products and some non-CBD products. But depending where you are listening, you may or may not have access to what I have. But I also have some apparel. And I talked earlier about, you know, Get Naked is, is sort of my, uh, my uh, slogan. And so I have an, an apparel line. Uh, if you were to go to, uh, if you want supplements and I can ship it to you, uh, go to nw-recovery.com. And that's NW for Naked Warrior. You can also go nakedwarriorrecovery.com. We'll get you there. But some people don't want to write naked into their search engine. Uh, but on, and you can get to my apparel site, which is a separate site uh, on there. Or you can go to nakedwarrioropparel.com. And you, I think, I believe I ship all over the world. Uh, and you can get your Get Naked Apparel or your Naked Warrior Apparel. I will leave the links to all of that in the show notes below. I want to actually give you a bit of a live uh, so, you know, marketing is my background. I want to give you some sort of live feedback based on what you've said in the in the thing about naked warriors. And, you know, you can tell me I'm, I'm, I'm off center. So, if you were to put the, so you've got naked warrior. If you were to put the, um, write out like what each letter meant, like that would, that would be really cool. I think people would then relate to it more and then they wouldn't be embarrassed to put it in their browser. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. That's just a thought that I had. We can talk a little bit more about that off off recording. And, with, and, that, uh, and that actually is kind of what I talked about earlier. So naked, yeah, is is in is for never quit. A is for accept failure. The K is kill mediocrity. The E A K E is expose your fears, and the D is do the work. So yeah, and I'm working on it. a better shirt uh, that that spells that out. I'm I'm actually in the market for a graphic designer to to help me uh uh to help me make some better apparel because you know I like wearing a shirt that says get naked it's that simple you know getting naked is it's also a mindset it's also about you know taking your ego off and setting it in the quarter and that was some of the beginnings of naked warrior is is uh you know we all walk around with ego and I was kind of made a, a little Instagram video about it today that I haven't posted but there's good ego and there's bad ego. The good ego is the one I've got this team behind me. Let's go get let's go get work done. I'm I'm confident. That's good ego. The bad ego is like maybe you've been hurt, maybe you've gone through failure, maybe you have been a, in a bad relationship, divorce, whatever, fired from a job, etc. And you just hold all that negativity in, and then you just put this barrier around, it and you wear it like body armor, and that is bad ego. And you just suffer in silence, and you just fester, and it's it, it's not good. So. Also, the get naked is taking that ego off, taking that armor off, taking all this crap that other people put on you and you carry around for no good reason is taking that off, get naked, expose yourself, become vulnerable and find the healing that you need. That's the other side of, of get naked and the naked warrior. Yeah, take everything away. Philosophical yeah. side of it. I, um, you know, I, I have, um, I, I talk about this quite openly on, on my show. I've, I've got some mental health that I go through with depression and but the awesome thing is once you strip everything away when you come back there's this really cool kind of um acceleration process of understanding what actually matters what you're good at what you can achieve and it's really empowering to to strip everything away like you say get naked right be vulnerable accept what's happening and then go right this is the situation I'm now going to push for now it's so, that's get after it yeah exactly yeah exactly um but I've it's a process. Some... It's not easy. Yeah. It's 
and it's work. And that's the way the D is do the work because there's no magic pill. There's no magic, you know, anything out there. There are modalities that can help you. And CBD is a modality that helped me, but I still had to do work. I had to do the, you know, the mental work. I had to do the physical work. I had to do all this other work. And so that, uh, again, back to that's, you know, that's the, that's the, the multiple facets of the naked warrior. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I've got some fan questions. Uh, I had some people that, that I, when I said I'm interviewing you really, really wanted to jump at the opportunity and, and ask some questions. So I'm going to enter that one. Um, this one is not from my uncle. It's, it's for my uncle. Um, I know he's one of my big fans. Uh, and he also served, he served in the Australian army. Um, but he really likes David Goggins. And so my question is, do you know David Goggins? Have you met him? Um, it's okay if it's no, but like that's, yeah, I just know he'll like that question. And, uh, yeah. I have not met David Goggins. However, if you follow my Instagram, Naked Warrior Recovery, at Naked Warrior Recovery, I'm going to start calling David Goggins out very oh. publicly. Oh, um, okay. Because so in the first week of August, there is a swim, and this will be the third year that it's happened. And I did it last year. I'll do it again this year. There's about 100 people. There's over 100 people doing the swim right now and, and that are signed up. And it's... Uh, it's it's a swim that starts in New Jersey. We we run about two miles. We get in the water. We swim out to a barge in front of the Statue of Liberty. We climb up. We do twenty two push ups or twenty two pull ups and fifty push ups. And uh, is it fifty or hundred? I don't remember. Uh, and then <laughs> it's going to be a hundred. We swim over to Ellis Island. We do it all over. More pull ups, more push ups, then we swim to the uh, downtown. Uh, Man, uh, lower Manhattan, uh, where the 9-11 Memorial is. We do more push-ups and more pull-ups. It's about a three-mile run and about a three-mile swim. Goggins has not shown up for that. So I made a video. I sent it to David Goggins. I know that David Goggins does not like the water. And uh, he does not like swimming. You see him running, stay hard. La, 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 la. And so... I don't know, David. I, I'm really nobody in the SEAL world or whatever, but I'm going to start calling him out. David, uh. where are you? I don't see you out here. Things like that. So um, that's, that's interesting because David is he's happened. Yeah, so, that's really because David's the like I, I um, uh, every clip or video I see of him is, is amazing. I've got a lot of respect for him. And, and same with my uncle. My uncle actually introduced me to him where he's been and come from and his determination and push through. He went awesome through story. buds though, didn't he? Awesome yeah, story. He did. Yeah. It's an awesome He went story. through buds. Yeah. Uh, so that, that I mean, is super just... hard man. And that's, that's his story. It's like, you know what? Stay hard, do hard things. You don't see David swimming anywhere. Do you? I don't know. I don't follow him as much, but I'm going it. <laughs> to get him in the water to do that three mile swim. I know he doesn't want to do it. Uh, he but he'll do it. He'll do it. I, I reckon he'll do we'll, it. I'm going to we'll see. We will yeah, see. I'm going to challenge you. I reckon he'll do it. I, I reckon we'll like he, I, I he'll he come does. back at you. He'll come back at you and go, mate, this is, this is simple. I'm going to, I want you to come run out. with me. I'm like, well, it's not about me. <laughs> no, it's about you. <laughs> this is actually about make raising money for it, for a, yeah, for a charity. Okay. And yeah. uh, so again, yeah, so like the, the 22 push ups, or I'm sorry, the 22 pull ups is about, so, you know, 22 veterans a day, uh, take their own lives. We've lost more veterans to suicide than we have, 
you know, in 20 years of being in combat. So that's kind of what that's really what that's about. It's about a, it's a charity that helps veterans either find, uh, you know, find a new career path, uh, homeless veterans and first responders, things like that. So so that's what the charity is about. That's why I will call him out. I don't have a problem, you know, calling anyone out that isn't willing to show up to help out other veterans, especially when they have such a big following worldwide following. Talk about how hard you are, bro. Let's let's see how hard you are. Um, mm, and you're doing it, you're, yeah. So I like that. So you, you're not doing it because you just want to call him out and and no. like you know get the attention. You're not you're not attention seeking. If I can get, you know these, these yeah. really big names to to show up and help raise more money, then that's a win. It's not about my ego or anything else. It's about it's about bringing more. Um, more focus Awareness. on the, the, the things that, that matter. You know, there's a lot of trash out there in the world, in the news and whatever, things that don't matter. This is something that matters. So love it. Let's just let's bring love some it. bring some focus, bring some attention. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um this next question is from a friend of mine called Luke. Um he's asked there is a, a physical peak when you're pushing through something like, you know, when you're in the water or pushing your last rep, doing a rep set, where it really sucks. Like, as you said, Hell Week sucks. Um, but there's a point at which you start enjoying that pain where when you think you're done, you're only 40%. You're actually really only 40% done. So that switch, did you have that already inside you, do you think? Or was that something you learned in, in training? And then if so, that switch that means I'm only 40% done so I can switch into another gear, how can you, how can you develop that? You know, it's interesting. I very recently heard that 40% statistic. I don't, I don't know where it came from. But what I did learn, um, and I learned this in training, and, and so now that I'm, I'm, I'm no longer in the SEAL teams, I find it's very important to put myself into uncomfortable positions, do things that are hard because it's really easy to just like be like kind of this entitlement thing, you know, and, and it kind of goes back to what Goggins talks about. He was like, you should do hard things and you should be grateful that that was very challenging. And so I don't, I don't know about the, the 40% rule or that last rep or whatever, but what I do know is kind of what I was talking about with that boat crew where, you know, we're, this sucks and we're going to suffer either in the back or we're going to suffer in the front. And there was more joy in suffering in the front, like putting out that extra effort. It's still effort. Like if you're going to do something, it's kind of like that whole, like never quit, like keep going, push through it, push through that discomfort. It's still going to suck. Um, but I, I, you know, I learned it really through physical adversity and, you know, one of those, I'm not a great runner. I never have been. I never will be, but I can run. And one of those things, so the third phase of buds is out on San Clemente Island, which is the third largest breeding ground for great white sharks. And yes, we do swims out there. And I was terrified every time we did. Um, but we had this, there was the hill. So before you could eat uh, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, you had to either do, you know, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, or dips, or whatever it was, like a certain number with all your gear on, or you had to run up this hill they called Frog Hill. And it was about a half mile sprint and it's like flat. It's, you know, pretty easy gradient and it gets very steep very quickly. So if you're not 
and you have to make it in a certain amount of time. If you don't make it in a certain amount of time, you have to go in the ocean, get wet, come back and eat shell wet. And that is just not that much fun. Um, so I found myself getting closer and closer to the front of the line because I'm like, I'm not number one. I don't want to eat chow wet. I hate getting wet and sandy and cold and miserable. Uh, I like staying dry as much as I can. So, but I also realized like if I slow down, everyone behind me has to slow down. So I'm screwing everyone behind me and not in the good way. And so I found like a new gear, a new like level to push myself. I wasn't the first, but I was top five. And uh, because I also learned like if I, you know, doing these four mile time runs, if I like sprint right away, I get through that suck factor, that that place where I just like, you're just like, dude, this is so miserable. And the quicker I get to it and I push through it, I kind of get my second wind, I guess is like a, uh, an yeah. easy way to say that. And you can only do that by doing hard things and it could be hard things like reading really hard books or doing really hard projects at work or doing really hard physical activities but you have to you have to put yourself through adversity in order to find that that next level like that that next gear or that second wind or third wind or fifth wind or whatever it is yeah definitely definitely i think that yeah no for sure that that you can't do it, it. you, 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 you can't netflix no, you got to put yourself through it. Yeah, right. you got you got to put the rubber to the road and do it. Um, this one's from Alan. How can leaders practice decisiveness? So you need to make a decision quickly. How how do you do that in a quick? You know, yeah. Um, I you kind of need to know what you're doing in order to. You need to know. You need to have enough information to make a decision. If you're, let's just say, you're put into a leadership position and you don't really know what the job entails, you can't make good decisions. But if you're in a, uh, in a leadership position and you have 40, 50% of the information, a lot of times it's better to just execute violently and with you know, 50, 60% of the information than wait to get 100% of the information. Because generally, 100% of the information is never going to come. But if you can execute a, a mediocre plan very quickly and very violently, you're going to have a better outcome than if you wait until you have 98% of the information. Mm, mm. And then as you're, as you're executing, if, and you see the battlefield, you see the situation change, then you can make, you can make course corrections. You know, maybe you need to make bold, you're, you're going right, but you need to go left. So then, but you wouldn't know that until you started going forward. So, until you start going forward and then you don't know which way really to go. So you need to take action. You need to do the work in order to make those corrections that are, that are required. Yeah. Wow. And, and I like that the, like the worst decisions are made on little bits of information. So if you can gain, if you can gain like enough information for you to move forward, do that, make the decision and then mid decision or mid like action. If you see that the battlefield has changed, then quickly, quickly um, counteract that with the information that you that you knew. Right. I mean, it's yeah. just like getting in a car. You know, I I don't know the statistic, but you make minor corrections, like 180 minor corrections every 60 seconds when you're driving. So mm. <laughs> you know, in when you in business, you are going to make those minor corrections, and maybe you're going you know this way, but you really need to go that way. So 
but you wouldn't have known that until you started going down the road. Yeah, definitely. Um, what is the number one killer of teamwork and how does a leader counteract that? There That's are toxic, one. there are toxic people. Um, and when you have a toxic personality in the team, uh, you can try to correct it. Maybe try to correct it twice. Outside of that, you get rid of it. You cut the cancer off. And so, because you, if you, uh, uh, I've, and I've had teams where I had cancerous people and I didn't get rid of them and I, I paid. And then there were times, and you never really know. You're like, okay, get rid of that guy. I don't want to like destroy his career, but you know, there's a bigger mission here. Mm. He mm. can go I do something that. else better. But really, it, I mean, it's kind of like, if you have tox a toxic environment, you have a cancer, you have a tumor, you need to get rid of that as quickly as possible. And you can try to correct it. If it doesn't correct and you recognize that it is bad, cut it off. Get rid of it. There's Amazing. a right and a wrong way to do that. But, you know, do it with a scalpel, not with a machete. What's one of the difficult leadership moments or decisions you've made and the that experience how did it surprise you in terms of the steps that you took to over overtake that leadership the difficult leadership choice that you had to make i'm gonna say i think really kind of what we were just talking about where i've had you know toxic personnel that i inherited and or even someone else inherited. And then the, the saving grace was, you know, having this team. And sometimes my team had to be my peers where we worked together to find a solution. Cause I don't know, I don't know everything. I had to ask for help. And so when I asked for help, I got the, the answers to solve the problem. The times that I failed were the times that I did not ask for help. And so in that's, that's, I mean, that's just absolutely critical. You as a leader, you don't know everything. And if you're not willing, if you're, I was afraid to ask for help. I'm, I'll go run into a, you know, gunfight right now, but I'm scared to ask for help. What sense does that make? That's my ego getting in the way. So what I learned is face, you know, when you, when you have, when you face difficult scenarios that you need to, you don't have the answer for, go ask for help. Someone knows. You just have to ask. Love it. Um, and last section, let's get to know William. Um, he, you've learned about his experiences, his lessons, his, all of that kind of stuff. Let's, let's learn the guy uh, underneath. When you're not working and, and doing, doing the things you're passionate about, um, you know, you live in Hawaii, so what, what do you do with your free time? Uh, let's see. I, I hang out with my family. I there's a mountain. It's kind of not a real mountain, but it's kind of a mountain right here behind the house. So I like run up that with my my seven year old daughter and and kind of cruise up and down those trails. The the ocean is about a fifteen minute walk that way. Uh, I like surfing. We don't have great surf here on this side of the island, but um, I, I like surfing. You know, that's one of those things where you can really just sort of zen out and just like all the troubles. Whatever is bothering you doesn't bother you in the water because you're out there with Mother Nature. Some of it is very cleansing, and some of it is you need to you need to lock on to like this giant wave that's coming your way right now, and either like get out of the way, or when that thing crashes on your head, 
you need to learn how to hold your breath for a really long time. I also like spearfishing. So I'm, I've just started getting into spearfishing. So, um, those are the things that I, I, and I, and I work out, I try to work out yeah. almost every day. What is it about what you do that you really enjoy? What is that thing that sparks, you know, this is why I do what I do. I like helping people. So, you know, when I was growing up, when I, even now, I still look for, and this is why I like Goggins and guys like that, they are like, their message is so strong and so powerful. They, they put themselves out there and their message is helping people. And that's, and that feels really good. Um, if, you know, you know, going back to sort of the, the mission of Naked Warrior Recovery is, you know, there's 22 veterans a day. If I can make that 21 veterans a day, awesome. If I can make that zero veteran, that's even better. So really at the end of the day is, is being of service. And, you know, if you're in a, in, in a business and you can provide a service that can help people, then that's awesome. That's win-win across the board. Definitely, definitely. I, I 100% agree. Um, is there a quote or a thing that you see, like, on ins- if you ever see it on Instagram or even not Instagram, but I just know that that's a place where people put quotes. Is there a quote from your army days or that you've now found when you're a civilian um, or not not civilian, ex-retired? You know, civilian, um, sorry. yes, sir. Civilian, yeah. I just, yeah, wanted to be careful. Um, if what is that quote? Um, and yeah, would would love to would, would love to know. If I could remember it, I'm working on I'm I'm working on being able to recite the entire thing. But there's yeah. a a speech that Teddy Roosevelt uh, told to I forget the the venue. I believe they were in Paris, and it's the man in the arena. And basically, it talks about you know there are people that are just they just make fun of other people because but they're not willing to you know put their own skin in the game and the the and they don't they don't matter in life the people who matter are the people who get out there they fail they get back up and they even if they fail even at the worst they fail they fail knowing that they've made an impact if they are successful, they're, you know, the world is awesome. But if they fail, they're still going to be better people than the people who never tried in the first place. And so it's it's this quote, uh, the, the man in the arena, there's a bunch of YouTube videos about it. And one day I'll have it like dialed and I can just like throw it out there for you. But I cannot do that today. No, no, I'm actually going to, I'm, I'm maybe going to help. So I'm watching a TV show called Spartacus. Spartacus um, basically revolves around gladiators and in the in the arena on the sands. And the crowd, if somebody loses their match and then the gladiators like survives, as soon as they lose the match, the next time they come into the sands, the whole the whole crowd is booing them because they lost, right? But if a member of that crowd went into the arena, they would be killed in two seconds. Yes. Because these gladiators train every day and really hard. So the people in the crowd aren't even in the game. So if you're not in the game, you can't be booing someone for even trying. Exactly. Right. So that's, that's I think, what you're like what the you're man, The say. man that matters is the man in the arena. 
definitely. And lastly, how do people contact you? If, if um, something has resonated with them in this, um, what is the best way to reach out? Instagram, uh, email, your website. What's How do people LinkedIn? Um, how I do think people I'm, contact I'm you? most active on Instagram. Excuse me, Naked Warrior Recovery at Naked Warrior Recovery is uh, the the handle that I'm most active at. Um, yeah, I think that's where I put most of my content. I also have a my like my personal account, which is William I think is my my personal account. So either one, uh, you can reach out and uh, and ask me questions or or whatever. Say hi. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I have the, I have the other things, but I, I'm Instagram is the most uh, where I'm most active. Awesome! If you reach out, let William know that the podcast sent you. I know you, he'll get yeah, a smile from that. And um, yeah, William, that's that's it. Thank you for coming on the show. Really, really appreciate your time. Um, I've been Tim. You've been William. We've been talking, and thank you for showing us your blueprint to determination and success. Awesome! Thanks for having me. All right, there you have it, the episode with William Brannan. I hope you really enjoyed that and got a lot from it. If you want to reach out to William, the links will be in the description below. Apart from that, if you give the show a like, review, and a subscribe, especially a five-star written review on iTunes, it really helps out the show, and I love seeing who's listening along. Now, before we go, a quick word from our sponsor. This show is powered by Bean Talking. At Bean Talking, we help our clients produce one to three months' worth of content in 45 minutes of their time. Think about the people that are consistently showing up on your news feed via LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. You've probably even bought their products or gone to their seminars because you've seen five videos, two blog articles, and one picture that you really resonate with. So if we know content works and we know that it creates interest, then why aren't we doing it? What is stopping us? It's because we have to edit, produce, film, and do it every single day. But who's got the time for that? So with my clients, I show them how they can consistently make content and do it in 45 minutes of their time. We then take care of the rest. So if you want to learn more about that, you can contact me at tim at beantalking.com.au. But apart from that, I'll see you guys in the next episode.